Hi, and welcome to 1001 Books, a podcast where we read the 1001 books that experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they are really worth your time. I'm Chelsea, a lover of any fantasy novel with a strong female lead and a new mom desperately searching for time to read. And I'm Nicole. Uh, right now, I'm really loving uh, fiction books that touch on social issues and really get me to think. How are you doing today? I'm freaking tired, guys. <laughs> are you working full time and getting up every two hours with your kid? Yes, yes I am. <laughs> you know, I now understand why sleep deprivation is a form of torture. <laughs> I love him. I love him with every fiber of my being, but I am so fucking tired. <laughs> I'm in. Pro- I mean, we had to reschedule this recording a few times, but it wasn't because of your tiredness. No, it was not. So- <laughs> in fact, I only had 20 pages left of this book when we had to reschedule the first time. But did I read the 24, 20 pages before last night? No, no, I did not. I put it off for three and a half weeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably better. So it's more fresh. You know, if the recordings come out better if we're fresh on the book. Yeah, yeah. I also am not sure I. Uh, really like internalized or understood anything that was happening when I was reading this. So I think I've realized the limit of my like old fiction on sleep deprivation is like Jane Austen and newer. <laughs> or just of that tone, right? <laughs> yeah. 1780s, real rough, real rough, real rough. It's such a, it's a very short distance between this and Jane Austen. It really is. But uh, the tonality, very different, yeah. which I guess we could introduce Yes. Our book, uh, or talk about what we've been reading first. Yeah. So, what have you been reading? Um, well, I saved this one and talking about it. I recently read a book called Wolf Hall by H- Hilary Mantle. Mantel, Mantle. And I had to read this. This is the one I talked about on the podcast because it was a book that I enjoyed and it won the Booker Prize. What? Which we never like books that win the Booker Prize. So, this is it's the um, beginning of a trilogy uh, set in um like king henry the eighth times in england um told about thomas cromwell mm-hmm. and this the first book in the series won the booker prize which i've read and then the second one which i have home from the library on my shelf also won the booker prize and the third one just came out in 2020 the booker prize makes no sense to me <laughs> yeah it was wild that you would give two books in the same trilogy the yeah. same uh, the same award. Interesting. <laughs> but it, I, it, it was really good. I, I, I really like historical fiction about that era. Like I'm a huge fan of Philippa Gregory's mm-hmm. books. And so this was like very different than those. Cause those are always about like centering the women that history has like not given us that perspective and imagining it. And obviously this is about a man, but it was the, I think the research and like the, this is what culture was like then. It was really, really good. And even though some of that was, he was, um, played a big part in like arranging for Anne Boleyn to be able to marry King Henry the Eighth, and that like complicated legal argument to yeah. make that happen, even though it, it totally wasn't <laughs> legal, you know. Um, so it's like that they managed to make that interesting. <laughs> huh? That does sound interesting. Yeah. I haven't read shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've written down here no books. Yeah. Um. Uh. See back to tired. And add in starting a new job. So, like, you know, we're here. Um, one day, I've been listening to the same audiobook for, like, a month now. What book is that? Um, the third book in the Dresden Files series oh. called, I don't even know what it's called, Ghost Peril, Peril Ghost, something about ghosts. 
Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. That's about it. But I mean, it is what it is. I feel like I, I haven't been, season. yeah, yeah. Seasons of life to each season. There's something. And this season is that I'm too tired to focus on a book. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'll come back around again, you know? I mean, I read some words for this book, so. Yeah, totally. Let's tell them about this book. So this book is called uh, The Interesting Narrative by Olauda Equiano. Yeah, that's how it Would be my guess. Um, And it was written in 1789. And it is a published story of the author's life Um, it's it's autobiography yeah and it's interesting because as per usual somehow i get the books with all of the notes yes and my we thought maybe we had one of us had gotten a misprint because this is a book in the public domain it's so old and your book is like real thick and mine is really skinny yeah and mine (laughs) there's interesting things about both of our books mine is less interesting so we'll do mine first and then we talk about nicole's because nicole's is like a wild ride (laughs) So mine has a uh, hundred pages of front matter, then a hundred and fifty pages of back matter, of which are seven hundred footnotes. And I'm a completionist. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> and I know, but I couldn't. I didn't read all the back matter, but I did read every single footnote, and I think that may have played into my misunderstanding of this book because. Uh, or my struggle to like hold plot points because um, this book was published during the author's life in eight times. He, he, he um, published eight editions of this novel during his lifetime. And there's actually some really cool stuff about it in my front notes uh, that he, each time in the beginning of the front matter of the edition that was published, they would thank all the people who had brought, bought one. And it was like publicizing that you were an abolitionist because your name was going to be published in it, which was kind of interesting um, and cool. But then, like, all the footnotes were, like, in editions one and five, this is excluded. And then every, like, <laughs> every time I'd be like, I got to stop reading these, there'd be, like, one interesting tidbit. <laughs> and then uh, I'd go through suck, it again. Suck you back in, yeah. I, however, did not read the back matter. But I will say uh, that appendix is C, D, C and D are just a list of names of people who bought the book, wow. like for 40 pages. Wow. So there's that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I will have some nice little Easter eggs from the front matter about the history of this book and some of the stuff around it. But what's going on with your book? So, so, you know, I just bought the cheapest version of this book that was on Amazon and it's in the public domain. So anybody can publish it. And so when it came, I noticed that it was kind of, like the pages look sort of weird like the layout was kind of weird and then when you get to the back that this basically this book was published by what i'm assuming is a cult to make money (laughs) and they claim to be the only ones who are publishing it anymore which is obviously not true because you have in your hands another edition of it i have the penguin classics edition (laughs) a very you know reputable source but this um i looked at their website out of curiosity and it Basically looks like sort of a hippie throwback situation Um, on the back. It it says a community project working to create a place for people to visit and potentially live long term in peace, free from the normal stresses of modern life. (laughs) So 
this is the second time I've bought in a weird book for this. Yeah. The other one's way back at the beginning of the podcast, like book six or seven, we read Around the World in 80 Days. Yeah. And when mine came, it was instead of being the size of a book, like the, it was like the size of like eight and a half and by 11 piece of paper. Uh, and then I just had to like carry that around while we were reading it. Well, and then I have the copy of one of my books has like 50 pages missing. Yes, yeah, so you're like a misprint. Yeah. Uh, so it was pretty funny, and especially because they thought they were the only ones publishing it. Um, but, it, I mean, all the content was there. It was just laid out sort of strangely, and it was really cheap. <laughs> and I don't know if I bought it maybe, like, from them or, like, from a thrift store that had this or something. Yeah. But um, it's definitely the weirdest one I've gotten well, so far for the podcast. you might have supported a cult, you know. It's, Everybody accidentally supports a cult sometimes, right? It's fine. Uh, yeah, so let's get into... Um, yeah. What's your one-word description? Oh, yeah. My one-word description is historical. <laughs> Cla- classic Chelsea one-word description. Very literal. <laughs> I got no brain power, guys. Uh, and mine is abolition. Also kind of a gimme. Um, a quick- At least more more like on point Specific. of <laughs> Historical. <laughs> it's like all the books are historical. They're all old. It's fine. Um, okay, quick plot. Uh, this is an autobiography of a former African slave attempting to convince Europeans to end the slave trade. Yes. Um, and actually, something I learned in the front matter. Um, it's really interesting because this man, Olauda, I'm just going to say Olauda and Hopefully that's close to correct. Olada, who later in his life went by Vasa. Gustavus Gustavus Vasa. Vasa. Gustavus Vasa. Um, He said that he was born in, I want to say. I can tell you. It's in this other thing I'm going to talk about. Yeah. In um, modern, what's modern day Nigeria. Nigeria, yeah. As part of the Igbo tribe. And he, um. He, his whole narrative starts in childhood and starts with him being taken as a member of the slave trade and it spends some time before that talking about um, slaves in um, Nigeria at the time within um, groups of people and uh, all of this kind of back matter. And there's a long standing, as in 300 years still going on, argument about whether he actually was born in Nigeria mm. or not, um, which one side of the argument says that this whole rumor about him not being born in Nigeria was solely by people trying to discredit his narrative. And then the other side of the argument um, originally was malicious and was just like, he wasn't born there. This is a like not an autobiography. But then a person in 1990 who was studying his history of him and his life found like um, baptismal records in South Carolina for when him – for when, um, like, through the people that match his story and all the stuff, like, it lines up for when he would have only been, like, seven years old, which doesn't match up with the timeline of his narrative. So there's this whole, like... That's so recently, 1990. I know. <laughs> and so there's this whole, like, back and forth, like, um, was it that his narrative is true and that, like, ages are just wonky because it was way back then, you know? Um, is it that hmm. um, he... Another theory is that this isn't his full life story, like... It just that was added on because they needed a face for the abolitionist movement who was um, born in Africa, brought into the slave trade, self 
freed themselves from slavery and converted to and converted as Christianity as a voice for abolitionism or abolition movement. And so like, was that they just like asked him to kind of add that to his story. So it's like a weird, like nobody knows. And I just think it's crazy that still people are arguing about it. Yeah. He's been dead for 300 years. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm holding in my hand another book called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby that I read last year. And it's a nonfiction book about the history of racism in the church in America, mm-hmm. both in the church and how the church colluded to create the like racial structure we have today. And really good book. Um, but when we started reading this, I realized I'd heard of this guy before. Um because he is colloquially like was called just the African, like that was the book was by the African, and uh-huh. and it was a big deal that um, the first time that's uh, an a, an African was getting published in this way to talk about their experience as a slave wa- very widely in Europe, and so in this book about the American church, it goes back to uh, Alauda Equiano published an autobiography called this this book, uh, and then it talks about how he converted to Christianity um, and you know, he reflects on his life through the experiences of his and lens of his faith and the hypocrisy of the slave traders who claim to be Christian Christian recollecting on the repeated rape of African women by slave traders aboard the ship. Equiano wrote that there, there it was a disgrace, not only of Christians, but of men. I've even known them to gratify their brutal passion with females, not yet 10 years old. And then he talks about how, when he's talking about people getting taken, kidnapped from Africa um, he says, Oh, ye nominal Christians might not an African ask you learned you learned you this from your God who says, do unto you do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. And so there's, there's some good. And so I thought it was interesting that like this book published really recently, like still traces back some of the American story about yeah. race to the, like, this is a, this was a really profound book in its time that has left a long legacy and controversy. Yeah. And it makes sense to me that, um, both arguments that it was to discredit him because obviously it would be people would be really mad. Yeah. The slave trade is very profitable. Uh, and uh, and the idea that he that someone would just be like, you know what, we're going to make it the best possible story that we can sell to the European public to make our point. Yeah. That also seems it's smart. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Or that it just really was his life. And it's just that record keeping was shit. Yeah, it's all they're all believable. It's so so it's so interesting. I just thought that was a cool and I love that you had like read a book that had, had Trace's parts back yeah. with him. That's I was like, this is what the list is about. It should yeah. be like this. It's like, oh, this is a book that I've heard referenced here and here and here and suddenly it's in front of me and I can go to the source material. Like to yeah. me that's what the a thousand one books list should capture. Yeah. Yeah. I did think it was interesting, um, when you're reading this book, he very clearly is throughout it is anti slavery in terms of like anti um like the rape of women like you just mentioned in terms of violence in terms of um like removal and separation of families, but there are sections of the book where he kind of takes a softer tone on like uh just like slavery in general and like liking your master and like yeah. so it's very interesting because um he clearly is an abolitionist for his time and clearly like 
has um, strong like moral leanings on why certain aspects of slavery are wrong. Um, and then at the end, towards the end of the novel, he takes a much firmer, like not novel, towards the end of the autobiography, he takes a much firmer like, this is why this is not okay stance. But you can see in the middle how um, how hard it was for him to somewhat like some of his like yeah. his owners and then still like uh like put that into conscious with like not liking slavery did you see that in there as yeah. well i thought it was I think interesting it, there was one part where he had one owner who was um really great to him like the kind of the first person to taught taught him to be a sailor one of his earlier owners because he goes through quite a few yeah and and he's he they the guy, the white guy keeps saying, you know, I'll, I'll eventually set you free. Like, I, or like when, when we do a job together, we'll split the money, you know? And then, uh, and of course the main guy believes mm-hmm. him because they have a good relationship. And then, um, that comes up, they do a job. The guy says, well, I don't owe you any money. Mm-hmm. You're my property. You get, you get nothing. And then, and then he think like it comes out kind of right at the same time. I'm never going to set you free Yeah. ever. Why would I do that? you're like worth money to me. And I think it's really, um, uh, Alauda is like really shocked. Yeah. Um, and kind of his innocence is shattered. Cause he's, I mean, he's a kid. Like when it's, he's a very young, he's only like 12, you know, in the beginning. And, and, and I think and, the author did a good job of portraying like mm-hmm. the feeling of that, even writing from a retrospective. Yes. Like it was, it was so interesting. And I, but I think, I think it really captures like, you see his developing sense of it over the course mm-hmm. of his life through his experiences, which is like, it's well explained. And just also the, the contradiction, like I feel like it highlights um, things you see in books about race now, about how white supremacy hurts everybody. It, it hurts mm-hmm. white people too, even though white people benefit from the system yeah. so much and have so much privilege, but fundamentally like it all, it, it hurts everyone in society when there's that great and that kind of inequity um fundamentally if you can't humanize everyone you're losing your humanity right like that like base point right and and so i think he you can see him like wrestling with that of like oh yeah this person was kind to me but then they screwed me and here's another person they're kind to me and then they screw me and i feel like my faith is calling me to love and care about people but it doesn't line up with this you know like it doesn't line up with this experience and the complicated part that like he adopted the faith yeah of his masters like i hate that word owners i'm gonna use owners I don't like that either, but you know what I mean? He adopted their faith, which had like complicated interchanges in there too. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I can see why, um, when this was published, it was such a sensation across Europe, you know, because it, it's, uh, if you had never seen an account of this from someone's who's in its perspective, only from the slave traders perspective, this would be really shocking Mm -hmm. and powerful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, definitely the book had some, some dull portions of like, oh, he's on a boat again. Now it's a new boat. Now it's a boat over here. Now it's a boat in the Arctic. And in edition <laughs> three, he didn't bring up this boat. Yeah, exactly. But I think the overall like purpose and meaning of it was, is, was really powerful. And I, maybe some of those details were included to humanize him, you know, that he's a person with, and he, he also talks about like times where he had 
a crisis as a faith and felt mm-hmm. like and was depressed and you know and everything was terrible and how he got out of it and the different people who contributed to that and the different texts and um and his desire to improve himself and to learn to read and to read scripture and um to learn different trades and it's it just like i am a person i'm not a, pro- a piece of property um over and over and over again and i think it's it's you really even though I didn't have all the footnotes that you had <laughs> because of my cult edition, mm-hmm. um, the context is really, really important. And it, it seems obvious that this book had like a huge historical, your one word description, impact yeah. that really, that, that lasted. Because I believe that the British Empire ended the slave trade of taking new slaves from Africa about uh, 40 years after this mm-hmm. was published. So it feels like it maybe it. It was part of the initial wave towards abolition. Did your chapters in your book have a little like description of what was going to happen in them? Yes. Yeah. I thought that was cool too. I always skipped them. (laughs) Well, they're just like five lines. I didn't want to be spoiled. I just wanted to read it. Oh, I like them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, I, um, I will say talking about it more helps me remember things that happened in it and like context and things like that. And like, I always find when we talk about books, I get more out of them. Um, During the moment of reading this book though, I'm not going to pretend that I was enjoying it. I I really, because I think that has to do more with like my mental facilities at this point in time, because it was really hard for me to read. Like, not like hard, like subject matter, hard, like parsing, um, it was fairly formal 1700s language. Yes, definitely. And parsing fairly formal 1700s language with the footnote obsession, uh, was very, very difficult. And so, um, if you're looking for an easy read, not again, not topical, but structurally about <laughs> the slave trade and things like that, this is not it. <laughs> If you have only two hours of sleep at a time. Fair enough. Yeah. I think the really cool thing about this book is that, um, which is something I thought would happen more with the list than we've seen thus far. I mean, we're only like a very small percentage in, in, but I, um, I love that it's like, it's a primary source document. True. Yeah, that is. Oh gosh. And it's just like, there's not that most people don't ever touch a primary source document unless they're like, getting a history degree or you know and so this seems like an accessible primary source um more than other things i guess and the only other like primary source we've really seen is the pavel's letters oh and if this was a man yes yeah so we've had three in the 50 62 62 three and 62 that's actually that's better than i would have anticipated yeah that's true yeah yeah that's one, one of the interesting things is like um oh, this is a book and it's set in this historical time and it was written immediately afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Waiting for the Dark, Waiting for the Light was like that. And This is a Man was like that. Where it's like, or the book was written right, right in a huge moment of change where they didn't know what was going to happen. I wonder if we look context. back, have we put those all on the list? We've removed some of them, haven't we? We did remove some um, a couple episodes ago. Let's see. I can tell you. Look at our magical uh, system. Yeah, if this is a man, that's on the list. And then we had Pavel's letters, but we took it off when we were purging last time. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's more just because we don't, 
our list shouldn't be as long as the original list. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that is still one that I really enjoyed. Yeah, that's interesting. I do. Um, I think I thought when we started this list that there wouldn't be a lot of like autobiographies or biographical things in it, but there are more than I anticipated. Yeah, it's strange that it's like it's novels and short stories and memoirs. But like, no plays. But no plays and no poetry. Which is so weird so to me. Weird. Yeah. I, I don't know how the like memoirs how are got those on there. things <laughs> and and short stories. How yeah. are those like uh allowed but like plays and short stories are not. Yeah. That'd be cool if it had plays and short stories in it. I mean, if it had play, plays, plays in it, we just have to read a lot of Shakespeare, probably. No, but they would have had to narrow it down. Hmm, that's true. Yeah. I haven't read any Shakespeare since high school. I've seen some. Yeah, and poetry, I wonder what we would have had to read. Probably like... Um, the Something of J. Alfred Proofrock. Yes, that we read in high school. And maybe probably like Dante's Inferno. And, uh, yeah, it would be really interesting to see what plays were would have been included or poems. But, you know, here we are. We're 62 books in. We're not finding a new list. No. <laughs> I only have time to do one of these in a lifetime. So <laughs> We've committed. We've committed to this edition that we're doing. We're and, almost 10% done. <laughs> Wait. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Okay, we're 5% done. We're definitely 5% done. We, we can say almost 10% when we get to 80 <laughs> Though this in the last since I, we were vaccinated against COVID, we've kept our pace has been quite good. Yes. I like that was when it was time for me to start a new bookshelf on my bookshelf. And it's like filling up. Yeah, we've done pretty well. COVID vaccines. Get your vaccine, please. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what else I have to really say about this one. Do you? Why don't we just say if we think it should be on the list or not? Is this a book that people should read before they die? don't feel like I have the brain power to make this decision. <laughs> well, remember, we review every 20 books, so if, if it goes on the list, you can always take it off. I can tell you that I'm saying yes. <laughs> I'm just going to go with what Nicole said. Oh, great. <laughs> Not, and again, it's I just, I don't think there's ever been a book where I've been so tired that I would, like, read 30 pages, and I'd be like, all I got was he was on a boat. Like, I know I was supposed to get more. I I understand that I read these words. <laughs> things happened. But I don't know what they were. So I'm just going to agree with Nicole for now. Um, maybe I will re-skim it before we do our review and, like, try and jog my sleep-deprived brain. Or maybe this one will just be lost to the sands of time for me. It's fine. And that, that makes we haven't. The last book we put on the list was number 56, Bleak House. That was a six-book gap between... That's pretty long for yeah. us. And we like some of those books. They just weren't like... Yeah, didn't everyone we? Read, what did we... Um, like the one by Flannery O'Connor and the Yellow Chrome. And yeah. And the um, Lucky Jim was the most recent one. I was ambivalent to Lucky Jim. Weren't we ambivalent to yeah, Lucky we Jim? Were, that's yeah. That's why it's on the list. <laughs> All right. Well, we... Oh. Well... We are going to um, let you know that we are selectively choosing our next book. And this is because we're going to be recording this book in October. And um, we wanted a book with slightly spooky vibes. And actually, that episode will be coming out end of October, early November. So it's not going to be too far off for you listeners either. Um, but this book we are choosing solely because its cover is creepy as all hell. And its title is... The Private Memoirs of a Justified Sinner. 
And it has like a devil gargoyle thing on the cover. And it's dark red. And I'm going to tell you right now, I looked through it already. And my book might be made by a cult this time. Really? I, it'll be interesting if when we get to the end, we're like, wow, 20% of the books were published by, <laughs> republished at by cults. At least was like republished by someone who didn't understand that you had to make sure that the pictures could be um, in the correct format that your printer could format because there's pictures in my book and every once in a while where there should be a picture, there's a like lightly outlined box and then the X in the middle that you get if you try and print something you're not allowed to print. And so um, (laughs) I don't know. I haven't read any further than that because I was just like looking through it real fast when I got it because I thought the cover picture was so creepy. And so there's creepy pictures in it, but every once in a while it's just like an X. Like they didn't <laughs> format it correctly. That's funny. I haven't looked in mine at all yet. This is one that um, it's also old, also from the 1700s, I think. Yeah, but I mean, at least it's creepy. I don't know. I Maybe I won't absorb it either. Some year for during Halloween, I know that The Shining is on our the list. Maybe we'll have to do that in Hall- uh, October. I know. Are there any like holiday-themed ones? On the- that, that. <laughs> There's probably no, like, Christmas oh, ones. We should choose, like, a Jane Austen one for Christmas just to treat ourselves. <laughs> I'm I'm very clearly, like, letting us be loosey-goosey with pulling things now. <laughs> I mean, we don't want to blow through the Jane Austen too soon. <laughs> okay, what about, like, another Charles Dickens? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's possible. It is time we we to get some more get some more books for it in our possession. I um listeners, I'm gonna when we stop recording, go through and I'm gonna select our Christmas book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I think that about wraps up our lep episode. Lepisode. Yup, our episode. Uh, we hope you enjoyed, and you can find us. You can email us at one thousand one books podcast or follow us on. Um, let's see our Instagram at 1001 books podcast or on Twitter or Facebook at 1001 books pod. And until next time, happy happy reading. reading.